Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker, coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. And with me, as usual, my co-host from Brisbane, Australia, Lindsay Adams. Hello and welcome. For a value added extra, excellencepodcast.com has heaps of free resources for you to download. That is excellencepodcast.com. Our special guest today is Gary Martin. Uh, Gary is the CEO of the Australian Institute of Management, Western Australia. Gary is a workplace expert, and of course, he's based in Perth. Welcome, Gary. How are you, Lindsay? And Ryan? Right. Um, I am fabulous, and thank you so much for joining us today. Being a workplace expert, Gary, and, and I know you, uh, you face a, a whole raft of issues in the role that you play. What do you reckon is the biggest challenge facing us in the workplace today? Well, um, I really don't want to say this, but I think the biggest challenge is the mental health of our um, workers or our employees is, has become uh, really, really important um, for a whole range of reasons. We are making progress, but I think the biggest challenge still is that we've got a stigma, and uh, that stigma is that it's um, not okay um, to have a mental um, health issue in the workplace, that it should be... Uh, okay. Um, we also have this challenge, I guess, where uh, we've had uh, Are You Okay Day and things like that, initiatives like that to raise the awareness of mental health. But the um, problem is that when people are confronted with uh, those who have mental ill health in the workplace, what happens is if people ask how you are, if you give a reaction that is, I'm not so well, then people do not really have a clue how to how to respond to it. So we've got that dual problem of the stigma is there that it's actually not okay still um, in some workplaces to be experiencing any mental ill health. And we've also got the other problem it is if it is okay um, and people are checking up on others, we don't know how to address it. How do we deal with it? Yeah, it's a really interesting point, isn't it? I mean... Um, uh, the, the question is, so I, there are a number of people I know, uh, Lindsay would know as well through professional speakers, as it so happened, who are trainers delivering a program called Workplace or uh, Mental Health First Aid. Yes. Okay. And and I think that's probably going to help a little bit, but, you know, I, you know I, I'm not sure how, how much our society allows us to be open. Well, I think that's part of it. That's why having um, people who are trained in mental health first aid, that's one thing, uh, and, and who can assist others, that's really, really important and we've come a long way with that. But just your co-worker in the workplace who might not be trained as well needs to know what they can say um, that helps to support that person. So, for example, you know, if some people say, look, you know, I'm not really, really very good. A response, common response is we all go through hard times, right? We all go through difficult times or just wait and see, you'll come out of this. They're probably reassuring in some ways but not reassuring in other ways. They're not the way to address or to work with people that have got ill health. So you've got your everyday colleague and as well as that, you've got people who uh, are going to be able to administer mental health first aid. But we need another layer altogether, and that is 
people um, who are trying to break down that stigma. So as you say, Rail, people will come forward and be able to talk about uh, their problems just the same way as if they would talk about their physical health. That's not happening still. So is there a solution, Gary, a simple solution, do you think, or is this a really complex, uh, horrible issue that's going to fester and fester? Well, I think it's a complex issue. There's no question about it. We need to extend the mental health um, training or mental ill health training, so training first aid as it's actually called. Uh, so we need to do that. We also need to implant people in the workplace who can be ambassadors and speak up about mental health issues to try and break down that stigma. These are, you know, it is complex. There's no question about it. Uh, and we are making progress. We just need to continue to it. Um, if people um, were more prepared to seek support, um, then they would disclose mental health um, issues in the workplace. And when we think about it, um, it is complex because quite a few problems uh, to do with mental health are created by workplaces in the first place. Uh, <laughs> overwork, right, for example, is one of them. Overwork, bullying and harassment, another one. Um, and, try and, and throwing people into jobs that they're not trained for, that's another one as well. These are all stresses that actually can lead to more serious uh, mental uh, ill health conditions. Can I ask one, one, one list I would add to that list is mm. remote working. Mm. No, no warm body contact. <laughs> well, I would actually say yes and no to that, Rail, because for some people uh, who work in difficult situations, working remotely is just what the doctor ordered when it comes to um, being out of a toxic-type workplace anyway. So it works two ways. People, um, Some people have active community support so that they don't need that direct work workplace support and they might thrive in that remote environment where people that require that extra support are perhaps a little bit lonely, have less community support, they might experience um, uh, mental ill health as a result of that sort of isolation. So I think there's a case either way. Do you think people have been overworked um, as a result of COVID? You know, I've read stats that said Microsoft's productivity went up 20%. In, in the first couple of months of the pandemic because everybody stayed at home, there were no distractions, everyone just worked. Um, do you think, though, that we've taken it too far? Um, I, I think there's always an element of overwork uh, in, in the community. Uh, there's a difference, too, between hard work and overwork. I think that the uh, overwork uh, is being created at the moment uh, by lack of... Um, uh, people to employ and, and the employment market at the moment. So if you can't get people uh, to do particular jobs, then people get the people that are in the workplace get loaded up. I seeing, I'm seeing this a lot in restaurants, for example, uh, where I see people, um, you know, you'd expect to have three or four people looking after a cluster of tables. Um, instead, there's one person because you can't get um people in hospitality, uh, and that makes it really, really, really very challenging uh, for people. So I think there's always an element of overwork uh, in places. That's quite different to hard work. Um, I think uh, you're right, 
Lindsay, in the sense that people did do a lot of extra work um, because they had that option when they were working um, from home in particular. Um, but I think now things are balancing out a little bit. Well, let me ask you a question. We Right at the beginning of the pandemic or, you know, a couple of months into it, we, we interviewed a leadership expert from Europe mm. and he was, was very critical of professional service firms who, you know, th their method or their KPI of management was the number of billable hours that you put in. Mm, sure. Um, and, and in fact, there were, you know, many instances of lawsuits appearing in Europe where professional firms had billed, you know, more than 100% of the hours mm. um, uh, to clients. Well, you know, how do you manage that, that productivity mm. with the remote workforce? You know, have we, have we matured over the last two years of the pandemic to a way of measuring productivity that isn't by seeing somebody sitting at their desk? Yeah, this is an interesting, uh, a really interesting uh, point because the, the theory is that you should be measuring people's um, productivity via their output, basically. So, you know, some people might take 16 hours to do uh, a job, whereas some people might take two hours um, to, to get the job done. Um, and so it's trying to find out what that average time is. But there's another dimension to this, which we've only just discovered recently, when we've said, okay, if you're working um, in a remote location, it's about output um, rather than, you know, how many hours you're, you're sitting uh, at a desk. We've, we get that. But what about those people, though, who... Uh, only take three hours to get that job done. Could we not incentivize them to do double the work? Uh, in other words, six hours, um, and that's still not a working day. Could if if they're that good at what they do, could we make it that we increase their salaries, for example, and pay them maybe not double, but incentivize them to work six hours um, or, or three hours more than their three hours they were doing? just to build that productivity. So I don't think it's a straightforward uh, type of issue now where you say, uh, you know, it's about outputs. There's this other dimension. If we know people cope very well and are, are very efficient at getting things done and the quality's there, then why not incentivise them to do uh, that, that extra? And that's why it comes back to this hard work issue. Um, some people um, can plough through stuff very easily, particularly if they've got the right training. Interesting, Gary. You you write a lot um, and and publish, and um, I'm a bit of a fan. You've been writing a lot about ageism in the workplace recently. So, how real is that? Look, I think it's real. It's 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 not. This is something that's getting, um, I guess, more prevalent rather than less. Sometimes when we talk about these isms, uh, like sexism, for example, ableism, where raising awareness and and we're hoping that that uh, there's much more awareness of these um, discriminatory behaviors in the workplace but I think uh, the problem with ageism is that um, we are actually seeing an increase uh, in cases of uh, ageist behaviors in the workplace I think the way to describe it is that the uh, tentacles of ageism um, they're expanding they're creeping out so um, they're actually taking in uh, 40 year olds uh, where at once it used to be 50 year olds and 60 year olds even those in their late 40s are now experiencing 
ageist type behaviors. And, uh, you know, I can't see um, things getting any better. I, I, I see them getting a little bit worse, in fact. I'm privileged to have a number of people um, every day tell me about their experiences in workplace, workplaces just because of the job that I do. And when I see, uh, hear their stories, I, I tend to think, even though it's anecdotal, I tend to think um, ageism is creeping up rather than uh, retreating. It's interesting, though, isn't it, that um, retirement ages are now being pushed later and later, mm. and yet ageism is being applied younger and younger. Like, what the? Well, that, well that's right. And, and people think that, you know, if you employ an older Australian, that there's a greater cost. Um, there are um, things to do with people taking more lead because of their um, age. You know, they're not as physically fit. Um, People also view some older Australians as technophobes, that they can't pick up technology quickly. They can't um, do things like be involved in change projects. They end up being resistant, resistant to change. There's a whole pile of stereotypes around older Australians, um, yet what you really are paying for when you employ an older Australian is that experience, that know-how, uh, that leadership. Um, that only comes with age. And I think the, the irony is that we all become part of this age, aged group, basically. So our younger selves discriminate against a group that we're going to become part of, which is bizarre. We all become part of it uh, at some point. So it's almost like we're circling around now to the, the diversity and inclusion uh, kind of topic Mm. Uh, you know, it, it's like we're uh, discriminating against mm. uh, a certain sector of our workforce. And, you know, I think, you know, I thought we'd made a lot of progress in terms of diversity and inclusion. Mm. And yet uh, we just, there's another great example, ageism. Wow, bang, smack. Yeah, uh, I think just to, to connect that with ageism, I mean, older workers in the, in, in the workplace, while they are, there are a lot of older workers in the workplace, they are denied sort of opportunities uh, quite often for training and promotion. Um, they're kind of encouraged to retire in those subtle ways. Uh, sometimes people make jokes about older workers, like I'm having a senior moment, or they're having a seniors moment. Even older workers themselves sometimes cause themselves harm by actually making jokes and reinforcing those stereotypes. So, but I think if you're seen to be different in any way in the workplace, um, we've got better at, at bringing people in from diverse backgrounds into the workplace uh, to a certain extent. Um, but once people are in the workplace, we tend to find um, that if you're a little bit different, um, you're not included. So we've made progress overall across groups in terms of bringing people in from diverse backgrounds, but then we don't take advantage of that by uh, including. So I think we've got the diversity part of that diversity and inclusion equation right. We're on the right track um, but not so much uh, in the inclusion. So when we do have people who are, as I said, a little bit different, then um, typically they're not included. And I, I think that is concerning. So I want to go, I want to circle back. You also mentioned, you know, workplace challenges being 
bullying or subtle bullying and and so all these things relate to each other you know the the diversity the inclusion the bullying the ageism um you know f- uh, there, there's a a, a, a well-known speaker fuzzy wandi who gave a, a ted talk mm-hmm. about you know you can't have diversity without inclusion effectively mm, sure yeah um but you know things like workplace bullying you mentioned it but surely that extends through all of these challenges that we're having oh look i think it does um i think what happens if we take uh the inclusion part of it um if you if you'd like to think of you know people that are not included um in groups of people in the workplace we have things called workplace cliques where people gather who are similar gather together and they don't include people from outside uh and that is actually if that's done persistently where others are ignored that's a form of workplace bullying okay it's also a form of something called mobbing which is another form of workplace bullying where a group of people exclude exclusion itself is a form of bullying um uh, not an obvious um form of bullying to many people but it is they they are definitely linked so you know if you are different in the workplace and you manage to get in you've you've only crossed one hurdle the second hurdle is how do you um infiltrate the workplace or become part of it and uh that's where we've got a lot of work to to um do i agree with you there's no diversity rail without inclusion um it doesn't make sense to have um you know to to promote diversity in the workplace but they're not to include it because you're not taking advantage of that Well, there was a, a famous article. I think it was by the, which I have uh, by um, the HR director of of Facebook at the time, who said, you know, she she was looking at the at the racial and gender profiles of various departments, and and the 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 article was entitled, "If only there were more of you, I'd know why there were less of you." <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Harry, can I just circle back to your mobbing comment? I. Hmm. A part of me thinks so isn't that just normal human behavior that we want to hang out with people who are like us um you know, like I I um nothing brought me greater joy once years ago when I got onto a Qantas plane I've been traveling extensively and I got onto a Qantas plane and I heard Australian accents mm-hmm. and it was like oh you know it was it was I don't know I was overwhelmed by that sense of belonging um, maybe I've I've simplified what's meant by mobbing but you know if a clique forms in a workplace and people are not included so they're not invited to be included and that repeatedly happens and um you know they end up being shunned that's really what mobbing is it it is the case that we gravitate towards people that are the same as us and i if i if i pick up on that point i'll talk about something like cultural fit people are forever talking about um recruiting people and then talking about whether someone is the right cultural fit uh or not and and so we talk that up in the workplace do we have people you know is cultural fit something um that is uh important most people say yes it is uh but by embracing something called cultural fit again we end up excluding people that are different to us and I I I I understand the whole idea of being attracted towards people who are similar to you but that's about sameness and diversity is about 
difference. So, I mean, it might be well and good to be on a plane and, and hear the accent and so on, but in the workplace, if we really want to harness diversity, we've really got to look beyond cultural fit um, to having people that will complement what we actually have already in the workplace. And that's, that's the challenge. I think simply talking about cultural fit is code for I'd have a cup of tea or a beer with that person uh, and I'd enjoy it. So we've got to broaden our horizons a little bit um, in, in that. So that's an interesting one. And how, how important, I, like I've spent a lot of time in organisations consulting, trying to create robust and, and vibrant cultures and yet your comments, it's it's kind of challenging at the same time, isn't it? Wow, is what are we creating here? Mm. Um, well, I think, I, think, I think you're right. I think that someone that's going to be seen to slide in with what we, we, we do currently and, as I said, get on automatically with people and share the same experiences and so on, again, it's more of the same. Do you want a workplace culture of sameness or do you want different views, different ideas that can help to lead your business to, you know, be that little bit more innovative and ahead of competitors? The only way you get ahead of competitors is, is where, you know, your workplace reflects the external world and not more of the same. And that, that's really the challenge. Uh, it doesn't have to be that you bring in people who are different and it automatically causes... Um, a toxic culture necessarily. Difference, you know, if you embrace it as a good thing, it depends on how people um, are actually, I guess, um, led in that sense. Is difference good uh, or is it not so good? People will respond according to how they're led. So, Gary, you've spoken, you've also written a lot about something called corporate numbness in our workplaces. Do you think that that's part of where we've gone with this, which is, which is, you know, we, 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 it's easier to have more of the same and then we don't, we don't move or think. Yeah, look, I, I think the corporate numbness comes as part of this idea of the great resignation. We've been hearing that people are resigning from their jobs because of toxic workplaces, because of bullying, uh, because they're not paid enough. Uh, because of long hours, there's a long list of things, reasons why people might leave workplaces. But I actually think there's something uh, a little bit more subtle, and I've called that corporate numbness, um, where there's this almost this bewilderness, um, apathy, fogginess, uh, and disconnection in corporate workplaces now, um, simply because of some of the things that go on, and they're not necessarily. Um, I wouldn't say they're necessarily, you know, toxic behaviours, but they, they make people feel a little bit disillusioned. And I'll give you an example, something simple. You know, a lot of people say, I've got an open door policy, okay? This is a corporate, this is corporate doublespeak, right? I've got an open door policy. And then someone rolls up at their door and they go, oh, look, not now, I'm busy. I mean, that's one of the, the double standards that we have. You know, people don't match, match, uh, their words, basically, and I think that's um, a corporate numbness. Uh, corporate, num I think that's a corporate numbness example. If I then turn to other things that uh, I've written about, is that we go into meetings and people almost end up, if they're a larger meeting, being robots. You know, they've rehearsed what they're going to say. It's not spontaneous. 
What about all the buzzwords that we use uh, in workplace? That's that's um, you know nonsense as well. We have to use all this all the these buzzwords and jargon to get by and to fit in with the workplace. Again, that leads to corporate numbness, deadlines, corporate numbness. There's a whole pile of stuff that creates this. As I said, it makes you feel numb if you work in a workplace where you can't be a little bit yourself. Gary, I am just giggling. You, you can see my face here. Our listeners can't. Um, you, you're just taking me straight back to, to my career in the Australian Taxation Office all those years ago. Uh, <laughs> corporate numbness. It was just like I, I wrote an article years ago called It's Time to Bury the Walking Dead. Mm. And um, I think there's a lot of people who are just dead. Mm. Um, but we just forgot to bury them. Yeah, corporate numbers is, is about nothing really makes sense. When you get to that point in the workplace where you say nothing really makes sense here, you know, why are we doing these things? And, and we have um, in some workplaces where this, this is really bad, you have um, those like noxious wet noodle type managers. Now, what I mean by that, a noxious wet noodle, is they flop all over the place like a noodle does to stay in with the in crowd and not make the different the difficult decisions and uh, you know management is is part of it but it's just the it's just the the broader nonsensical stuff that that gives us this not this nonsense a sense of corporate nonsense and and people want more than that at the moment um, they want real stuff so so the, then the truth of it is the great resignation although in you know Australia and particularly Western Australia, the end of 2021, we have a shortage of people for for jobs. We have a very low unemployment rate, but but surely the Great Resignation is a good thing because it's creating a level of newness and freshness in corporates where people were stale. Look, I, I think so. People move on, but you know it's like a revolving door. If you move from one organisation to the next, and you've, you're experiencing something that you're not happy with, I think what it's done this great resignation, and it's you know I'm not sure how to what extent there is a great resignation in Australia. I think what it's got what what it's um, done is almost flipped the whole idea of an employment interview. Uh, on its face. So, you know, traditionally you go to um, an employee interview or you apply for a job and you go to a to an interview and you get interviewed by um, an employee. This time or this time around, it seems that people are going to these interviews and they're asking the questions because they're checking in to see uh, what how things actually work in a workplace. And I find that quite fascinating that we now, because it's a, a, a situation where there are jobs and people can move, that they're scrutinising employers rather than the other way round. Um, and that's quite an interesting time. Yeah, Gary, I, I heartily agree. And uh, unfortunately, I reckon we could go on yakking for, for a long, long time, my friend, but we're out of time. We're going to have to wrap it up here. Um, really interesting discussion. Um, should our listeners want to get in touch with you and debate and or discuss uh, some of the points you've raised, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, perhaps on my LinkedIn profile, if you do search uh, for Professor Gary Martin, I should pop up and I'm happy to have a chat. Excellent. 
Thank you very much, Gary. And thank you to my co-host, Lindsay Adams. This is Rail Bricker signing off for another edition of the Business Excellence Podcast with a reminder to pop along to excellencepodcast.com where you can download a number of free resources to help you on your journey to excellence in both business and in life.